see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Welcome back to the latest episode of Ready for Close-Up, our Movie Geek podcast series. And welcome back, Andy. Hi, Sam. Are you as excited for next month's Oscars already as I am? Not as I used to be in previous years, to be honest. But then again, it was also a special year. Well, indeed. And we will dedicate our next episode to this year's Oscar winners. But let's go back for a second to the Academy Awards 45 years ago, when the Oscar for Best Actress in a Leading Role of 1976 was announced. And the winner is... Faye Dunaway in Network. Well, I didn't expect this to happen quite yet, but I do thank you very much, and I'm very grateful. I would like especially to thank Sidney Lumet, Patty Chayefsky, Howard Gottfried, uh, Danny Melnick, and the great generosity of a rare group of actors company of actors, in particular William Holden, Robert Duvall, and Peter Finch. Thank you. Faye Dunaway was by then arguably the greatest film star of the 1970s. Someone almost like Marlene Dietrich, Greta Garbo, or, oh well, Joan Crawford. Between the late 60s and late 70s, she starred in an incredible string of important movies, worked with the hottest stars and directors of her day, and won her Oscar, as well as a myriad of other awards and nominations before she, well, whatever did happen to fade on away. We're going to see how she became the biggest star of her day, we'll recommend our 10 must-see Dunaway movies, and see what happened to her promising career after one particular infamous movie. We'll also discuss her style and influence and if since there has ever been anyone quite like Faye. Well Andy, take it away and give us the Fayography. Faye Dunaway was born Dorothy Faye Dunaway on 14th January 1941 in Florida and started her acting career in the early 1960s on Broadway. After a few smaller film roles in the 1960s, she had her breakthrough as Bonnie Parker in Arthur Penn's highly influential Bonnie and Clyde opposite established actor Warren Beatty. This role garnered her first Academy Award nomination as Best Actress. She followed the success of Bonnie and Clyde with another hit, The Thomas Crown Affair, co-starring Steve McQueen. She continued to star in many movies with established directors such as Vittorio De Sica, Elia Kazan, John Frankenheimer and René Clément, but none of these projects were commercial or critical successes and Dunaway returned to the stage. In 1973, Dunaway appeared as villainous Milady de Winter in Richard Lester's The Three Musketeers, and critics and audiences alike praised the fun and action of this all-star vehicle, and it was the first in a line of extremely successful projects for Dunaway. Roman Polanski offered Dunaway the lead role of the femme fatale Evelyn Mulray in Chinatown, opposite Jack Nicholson. The movie opened to glowing reviews and Dunaway received her second Best Actress nomination at the Academy Awards the following year. The Towering Inferno became the highest-grossing film of the year 1974, further cementing Dunaway's status as a top star in Hollywood. She continued to star in successful films like Three Days of the Condor and Voyage of the Damned before she won her Best Actress Oscar for Network. In Sidney Lumet's media satire, she 
played a ruthless, scheming TV producer. Following her Oscar win, Dunaway took another break from acting to figure out her personal life. As her marriage to Peter Wolf was falling apart, she began a relationship with English photographer Terry O'Neill. Dunaway continued to appear in movies and television movies until the end of the 1970s and had with the psychothriller The Eyes of Laura Mars another box office hit before she took on her most infamous role in 1981, when she played Joan Crawford in Mommy Dearest. Even though commercially successful at release, the film became a notorious critical flop and eventually a camp cult classic. But Dunaway would later state that this movie harmed her career. And indeed, interesting projects failed to materialize for Dunaway in the 1980s. She appeared in a row of lackluster movie stinkers like Supergirl and The Wicked Lady and would star less and less in prolific roles and did mostly bit parts on TV and in movies. She garnered once again critical acclaim for her portrayal as Maria Callas in the stage play Masterclass in 1996 but never really reached the critical and financial popularity she once had in the 70s. So it seems like Faye Dunaway really had it all from the late 60s to the 1970s. Great roles, a wide range, big stars beside her and the greatest directors to work with. But then also suddenly a steep decline into mediocrity and infamy. So before talking about Dunaway's style and effect on her movies, we thought we'd give you our 10 must-see movies that made Dunaway famous. Number 10, Voyage of the Damned. On the 13th of May, 1939, a human cargo of 937 men, women, and children left Hamburg aboard the SS St. Louis on a voyage to freedom. Their destination, Havana, Cuba, but they never landed there. They were never meant to. Faye Dunaway. Max von Sydow, Oscar Werner, Malcolm McDowell, Orson Welles, James Mason in Voyage of the Damned, starring Lee Grant, Catherine Ross. I want the man I married. You used to be so arrogant. So sure of yourself. At least I stopped pretending. We have no more time. The voyage lasted 30 days but you will remember it as long as you live. Faye is Denise Chrysler, the wife of a German Jewish professor on the ill-fated ship SS St. Louis on the Nazi propaganda transfer of Jews to Cuba just before World War II. The film boasts a literal boatload of the greatest stars and starlet director Stuart Rosenberg production of 1976 was able to gather. Lee Grant, Oscar Werner, Sam Wanamaker and particularly Catherine Ross stick out among all of them. But there's also Orson Welles, Maria Schell, James Mason, Julie Harris, Muggs von Sydow and Malcolm McDowell, among many other known faces. But Faye took first credit and outshines them all. She's cool and controlled, then heartfelt and caring, dazzling and glamorous, finally strong and determined. She had just come off her most important role in Network and would go on to win her Oscar, and she was clearly at the height of her career. Voyage of the Damned feels more like a long TV movie, but has a few unforgettable moments, anything that Lee Grant and Catherine Ross are in, in particular. It's certainly worth a watch, if only for the sheer star power assembled and anyone trying to get a moment to shine. Number nine, Eyes of Laura Mars. Look, what I'm trying to do is give a, a, an account of the times in which I'm living. 
And I've seen all kinds of murder, physically, yes, but moral, spiritual, emotional murder. I can't stop it. I can show it. I can make people look at it. That's a very moral point of view. Thank you. Got something I want to show you. Where did you get that? This is a picture of you on the front here, isn't it? Yes. Well, have you ever seen this particular copy of this book before? No. Yes. I saw it happen. With your own eyes? In a nightmare. Faye is Laura Mars, a glamorous fashion photographer who suddenly has visions where she sees in first person through the eyes of a killer who murders her friends and colleagues. This was a box office hit in 1978 for Dunaway, who just came off her Oscar win for Network. And despite being a commercial success, critics were divided. And I would have to agree that while there is a lot that keeps you entertained, this American-style giallo doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and the end twist is rather lame. Nevertheless, it boasts glamorous fashion, a glowing fade on away in a slightly frantic woman-in-distress role, great location shots in New York, and solid supporting actors like Tommy Lee Jones and Brad Dourif. It's pulpy, trashy, but also lavish and fun, and shows how Dunaway could carry and elevate a mediocre film with her incredible star persona and energy on screen. Number eight, Towering Inferno. No talk at all? No. It's my lunch hour. Mm. Well, I'm not a cheeseburger, you know. <laughs> You're better. All protein. No bread. All I need to go with you is about eight glasses of water. All I need to go with you is in that suitcase over What's there. What's in that suitcase over there? I got about $140 worth of vulgar underwear for you. First things first. Years from now, when they talk about this, and they will, remember to tell them that it was my idea. Faye is Susan, architect Paul Newman's glamorously demanding girlfriend, who joins him at a magnificent opening ceremony in the highest building in the world, a glass tower in downtown San Francisco. Too bad that the wiring has been done on the cheap and the tower catches fire before the champagne corks are out. What follows is a riveting night of blazing excitement produced in 1974 by not one but two studios, Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox, based on not one but two novels and starring not a lot but an awful lot of hot and has-been movie stars. Besides Dunaway and Newman, there are Steve McQueen as the fire chief, William Holden as the head of business, Richard Chamberlain as his do-no-good son-in-law, Fred Astaire as a crook, Jennifer Jones as his victim, Robert Wagner and Robert Vaughn, oh, and did I mention O.J. Simpson? Again, Faye's glamour sticks out of all the star power and excitement and certainly does a great job besides Newman, rescuing guests and hanging from an elevator. But the true star of the show are certainly the special effects and stunts producer Irving Allen created for the screen and Faye, in the end, it's just one of the most expensive effects. It certainly shows that she was truly the biggest female star of the disaster movie era. Number seven, The Three Musketeers. Has our Gascon been in Gaul, eh? No, madame. Milady. He did not come. 
perhaps with the army going to La Rochelle, he's been detained by military duties. Possibly. It may be necessary to teach Monsieur d'Artagnan manners before we've done with him. What will you do with him, milady? Who shall say? It's pleasant to be adored by one so pretty. In time, Count Rochefort will cut him to death by inches. Perhaps I shall watch. As for his dressmaker, Rochefort's grooms will have her. I shall wear this tonight. Faye is Milady de Winter, one of the main antagonists to the Three Musketeers and D'Artagnan, played by Michael York, in this frolic and fun star-studded adaptation of Alexandre Dumas' famous novel from 1973. Dunaway is beautiful and glamorous as Milady, but behind a pretty facade she is a ruthless and cold manipulator. While co-star Rachel Welch is confined to play the ditzy love interest and has to play goofy slapstick gags, Dunaway steals every scene she's in with her icy, mysterious and fascinating allure. Originally planned as one large epic movie, the producers eventually split the story into two movies, whereas the second one, The Four Musketeers, gives Dunaway's Milady more screen time and a tragic backstory. Both films are fun to watch, the costumes and period details are great, there is lots of humor and the cast, among them Richard Chamberlain, Charlton Heston, Christopher Lee and Oliver Reed, is simply great fun. Number 6. Three Days of the Condor I work for the CIA. I am not a spy. Your assignment for today was to go out and kidnap a girl. I'll need your help. Have I ever denied you anything? I don't think you're going to live much longer. Well, I may surprise you. Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway in danger and in love in three days of the Condor. Faye is Kathy Hale in Sidney Pollock's 1975 grand political thriller Three Days of the Condor, who becomes unwillingly involved with Robert Redford, who flees from a group of killers as the sole survivor of his team of government agents. The main villain, played extremely menacingly by Mox von Sudo, hunts Redford down, so he needs to find safety at Dunaway's apartment and practically takes her hostage. The film is a no-nonsense thrill ride in the wake of Watergate, and political thrillers from The Parallax View and All the President's Men. This has always been my favorite because Redford and Dunaway make a great team on the run and Dunaway especially infuses her Kathy with feistiness, vulnerability and pizzazz. They don't make them like that anymore, it seems, even though the Jason Bourne series heavily borrowed from that film for sure, down to the last scene outside a newspaper office when Redford stands between spilling everything he knows to the press and keeping quiet. It remains unclear whether Dunaway waits for him at the end of this tunnel. Number five, the Thomas Crown Affair. I investigate. Anything in particular? The bank, Mr. Crown. The caper, sir. Sort of an American type headhunter. You could put it that way, yes. And uh, whose head are you after? Yours. Mine? Yours. <laughs> <laughs> Just exactly what have you got? Can't tell you. It's for the fun. Yours, mine. You're finding out. Just what I've got. 
What a funny, dirty little line. It's a funny, dirty little job. So shoot me in the leg. Always get your man? Of course. Think you'll get me? I hope so. Faye Vicky Anderson, an insurance investigator trying to catch a debonair gentleman thief, played by Steve McQueen in The Thomas Crown Affair. She's certainly McQueen's equal, trying to trick him all along the way and catch him in flagranti, but he's equally cunning, flying high in the sky while she's still trying to set the trap. Their cat and mouse game is told with class in this glossy, groovy, soaring 1968 hit by Norman Jewison. Dunaway looks stunning and acts cool and is even able to pull off the sometimes overblown exercise in style, which features one of the most risque chess games in movie history. McQueen is soon in danger of being outsmarted by her moves on him, but it's the uncertainty of the outcome that keeps the plot exciting. And it's Michel Legrand's incredible score including the Oscar-winning song The Windmills of Your Mind, which became a major hit for Dusty Springfield later on, that made this an unforgettable 60s classic and it eternalized Dunaway's status as the epitome of elegance. Number four, Chinatown. Who is she? And don't give me that crap about your sister because you don't have a sister. I'll tell you... I'll tell you the truth. Good. What's her name? Catherine. Catherine who? She's my daughter. I said I want the truth. She's my sister. She's my daughter. My sister, my daughter. I said I want the truth. She's my sister and my daughter. Keep her upstairs, go back. My father and I understand. Or is it too tough for you? Faye is Evelyn Mulray, a mysterious femme fatale in 1930s Los Angeles, who sends private detective J.J. Giddies, played by an unforgettable Jack Nicholson, on a wild goose chase after her husband's supposed infidelity. Instead, Giddies stumbles across a complex web of corruption, fraud, and weirdly disturbing family relations. Whereas Faye's character seems mysterious and controlling at first, she becomes increasingly the worrying focus of the plot, which is still studied by film students for the incredibly perfect structure designed by screenwriter Robert Town. Roman Polanski created one of his greatest films in 1974, quite different from his other subject material, it seems, but consistent in its twisted, shocking and delicate nature. Held by the authentically somber atmosphere and the film noir sound of Jerry Goldsmith's lush and riveting score, this is clearly one of Faye's most iconic roles and one of the very best films of the 1970s. Too bad that Dunaway's relationship with Polanski was particularly strained after an incident in which he plucked a hair from a furious Dunaway's forehead, a moment which the yellow press jumped upon and fabricated the legend of a notoriously difficult Dunaway on set. Well, no matter how true it is, the story certainly stopped. Number three, Bonnie and Clyde. Now, Bonnie and Clyde are the Barrow gang. I'm sure you all have read how they rob and steal and those who squeal are usually found dying or dead. They call them cold-hearted killers. They say they are heartless and mean. 
but I say this with pride, that I once knew Clyde when he was honest and upright and clean. If they try to act like citizens and rent them a nice little flat, about the third night they're invited to fight by a subgun's rat-a-tat-tat. Someday they'll go down together, they'll bury them side by side. To few it'll be grief, to the law a relief, but it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. You know what you done there? You told my story. You told my whole story right there, right there. One time I told you I was gonna make you somebody, that's what you done for me. You made me somebody they gonna remember. Faye is Bonnie Parker, one half of the infamous gangster duo Bonnie and Clyde in Arthur Penn's biographical crime film from 1967. Considered as one of the first films of the new Hollywood era, Bonnie and Clyde was a landmark in the depiction of violence and sex. Warren Beatty's Clyde tells Bonnie once, you're a knockout. And pretty much the same can be said about Faye's star-making performance here. Much like the film she's in, Faye represents a new era, a new type of woman. Strong, confident, determined and yet caring and loyal until death. Number two, network. Howard Beale went up there last night and said what every American feels, that he's tired of all the bullshit. He's articulating the popular rage. I want that show, Frank. I can turn that show into the biggest smash on television. What do you mean you want that show? It's a new show, it's not your department. I see Howard Beale as a latter-day prophet. A magnificent messianic figure inveighing against the hypocrisies of our times. A strip Savonarola Monday through Friday that I tell you, Frank, could just go through the roof. And I'm talking about a $6 cost per thousand show. I'm talking about a hundred, a hundred thirty thousand dollar minutes. Do you want to figure out the revenues of a strip show that sells for a hundred thousand bucks a minute? One show like that could pull this whole network right out of the hole now, Frank. It's being handed to us on a plate. Let's not blow it. Let me think it over. Frank, let's not go to committee on this. It's 20 after 10. We want Beale in that studio by half past six. We don't want to lose the momentum. For God's sakes, Diana, we're talking about putting a manifestly irresponsible man on national television. It's so hard to pick the greatest film of the 1970s, arguably my most favorite decade in all of movie history. But if Chinatown is a close runner-up, then Network certainly is just as good or even better. A different animal altogether. And isn't it incredible that all of my favorite Dunaway movies were produced between 1974 and 1976. Here, Faye is Diana Christensen, an overly ambitious, cold-hearted and calculating TV journalist who builds her career recklessly and by all means possible. When a legendary newscaster played by Peter Finch is unceremoniously fired by executives for poor ratings, he threatens to kill himself in front of the cameras. His plans fire up his ratings and soon Dunaway plans to use him as a crazy doomsday prophet to make massive profit. An aging head of the news department, played by William Holden, starts an affair with her, but fails to melt her cold and controlling heart. Dunaway is absolutely perfect as the feverish, almost hysterical Christensen, who is unable to react to human emotion, yet incorporates everything that brings success in the TV business world. Still a man's world, where her character has taken a footing. Network hasn't aged a bit. And it's just as relevant in our times as fast-paced and breathtakingly scripted media satire. It was also Dunaway's well-deserved Oscar win, together with the untimely deceased Peter Finch and an equally astonishing 
Beatrice Strait as Holden's dumped wife, one of the most convincing one scene supporting actress Oscar wins. It seems that Dunaway did especially well in great 70s ensemble pieces alongside strong peers. Network certainly is the pinnacle of 70s cinema and, in my opinion, the pinnacle of her career. Number one, Mummy Dearest. Al and I helped build Pepsi to what it is today. I intend to stay with it. We appreciate your devotion and contribution, Miss Crawford, but we have retired you from the board of directors. You drove Al Steele to his grave, and now you're trying to stab me in the back? Forget it! I fought worse monsters than you for years in Hollywood. I know how to win the hard way. Miss Crawford, we don't want any hard feelings. You don't know what hard feelings are. I come out publicly against your product and you'll see how much you sell. Please, Miss Crawford. It's hardly necessary to make threats you surely don't mean. Don't fuck with me, fellas! This ain't my first time at the rodeo. You forget the press I delivered to Pepsi was my power. I can use it any way I want. It's a sword. It cuts both ways. Faye is Joan Crawford, portraying the Hollywood legend as a woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown in this infamous 1981 movie adaptation of Christina Crawford's tell-all memoir, Mommy Dearest, which depicts Joan Crawford as an abusive and manipulative mother to her adopted children. But what was set out to be a biographical drama and a potential Oscar win for Dunaway turned into an unintentional comedy, mostly due to the bizarre and jumpy script and the highly charged acting, especially from Dunaway herself. She chews up every scene with an intensity and vigor that is bordering on caricature and is full-on camp. The movie was commercially successful, but flopped with critics. Nevertheless, it has garnered a reputation as a cult classic, thanks to Dunaway's exaggerated acting and delivery of one-liners like Barbara, please! Please, Barbara! Or Tina! Bring me the axe! Or No more! Hang on! Ironically, Faye's image suffered from this movie as much as Joan Crawford's, and today both actresses are linked together unfavorably in the pop cultural memory with this camp movie bomb. Don't fuck with me, fellas! So after our top 10 Faye Dunaway movies, it seems a little like the last one actually was the end of her career. And I think according to popular opinion, her career was pretty much over. But looking at her Fayography in more detail, I noticed that after a string of horribly campy stinkers in which she reaffirmed the damage done by Mommy Dearest, like you said before, Andy, the villainous in Supergirl and an eye-rolling spoof of her own milady in The Wicked Lady, there was a brief comeback period in the early 90s, with small roles in high-profile productions. And she received strong reviews for her brave depiction of an alcoholic in Barbara Schroeder's Barfly, based on Charles Bukowski's story. I actually saw her in the film adaptation of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale in 1990, but the movie flopped. Her commander's wife is actually perfect casting, but the movie was a weak take on a very strong dystopic novel. She was then lauded as the mature lover of Johnny Depp in Emil Kusturica's Arizona Dream in 1993, and had another brief stint alongside Depp and Marlon Brando in the hopelessly romantic Don Juan de Marcos in 1994. 
At the same time, she was also all over the place in television, from Road to Avonlea, Casanova, Rebecca, Joan of Arc, Elias, and Grey's Anatomy. They even cast her as the psychologist in the remake of The Thomas Crown Affair in 1999 with Pierce Brosnan and Rene Rousseau taking over the roles made famous by her and McQueen. She appeared in Colombo and in other TV productions up until 2017, but has also garnered more Razzies even for the worst actress of the 1980s, and given an infinite number of interviews and Q&As about her career, it seems that Faye just isn't done on the way yet. So what do you think her impact on popular culture has been? Mommy Dearest certainly has left a big impression on, on the memory of her work and her career, because it has become such a campy cult classic that when many people hear the name Faye Dunaway, they associate it with this failure of a movie. But I think she starred in the late 1960s and up until the 70s, as we've seen in, in so many great movies that hold on till today. They really, they have become classics. And I think in this period, there was not another actress I can think of that was continuing to be in such a string of great movies. And I think this was truly something unique to Faye Dunaway. And I also think she brought something new at the right time and in the right place, ushering in this new Hollywood era, which also demanded for a different type of woman. And I think this change of society in the late 60s is also reflected in her, that she was at, on one side this glamorous, Greta Garbo-like Hollywood icon, but at the same time very demanding, very determined and almost had characteristics that were predominantly played by men. So I think she was in that sense a very modern woman. In Chinatown is a good example where she plays this things like Enigma in the beginning and then as the movie goes on you realize there are troubles and sufferings behind this glamorous facade and I think this is something Dunaway played really well in many of her movies. This diva on the outside with a hidden agenda but also with hidden feelings underneath and I think this is what makes her acting and her character so interesting. I was also surprised by the range she has because very often we think of Faye Dunaway as this type and, and as you said this, this image was certainly influenced by Mommy Dearest and the, the camp aspect of her acting but actually if you look at anything between Bonnie and Milady and the Thomas Crown Affair the network in Chinatown. Actually, even though, of course, this is Faye Dunaway as a recognizable actress, she's actually very different in those films. She she brings out different aspects and she's, you know, wilder in this one. She's more controlled in this one. She's crazier in that one. Her range is, is astonishingly wide and also the impression she makes in each of these movies. Yet at the same time, I was surprised that there are also cross-references in her roles. For instance, I was surprised to see that her role in Towering Inferno in a way is a prelude to her network role because she's also going to you know either stay with Paul Newman or accept that super important job and she seems to be equally feverish in her ways of either accepting or declining a career to stay with a man and then when we see the the same scene play out with William Holden in Network you see that actually she did play certain shades of the same character. So these films also link up nicely, but it's incredible. This feverish string of great movies she made basically in 10 years, even less. 
So that's what I find astonishing about that career, even though it, it certainly changed after Mommy Dearest. You mentioned feverish now a few times, and I think this describes many of her characters really well, that there is this there is this determination, there is this drive. And I think that's what makes her portrayals so interesting to watch even 45, 50 years after. She feels very modern as an actress. I think you can really tell that there, there is something glowing underneath and she's not just pretty. There's there's always something feverish driving in her and I think Network is a great example for this but also she played many times this type of driven dangerous women that uh, I think also a milady even though it's a costume and, and cloak and dagger comedy she's a, a dangerous woman she she's she feels modern even though she's behind all these wigs and costumes this is what makes many of her movies so interesting to watch even nowadays and I think you can't look away with fade on away. I think this played out to her advantage in her earlier career when she had the right movies and directors. You know, she's she's absolutely stunning. She's magnetic. She has such energy and drive. But then I think it played to her disadvantage when she invested herself in typical method acting style in Mommy Dearest, where she is too intense. Exactly. And there's too much energy and too much drive. And it completely exaggerates whatever John Crawford must have been in real life to something that is, like you said, caricature, that is ridiculous, that is tragic, yet almost unbearable to watch. And that's, I guess, why it became such a cult classic. Yeah, you, you wonder how did all these people involved in making this movie think this is going to be taken seriously? First of all, the script is all over the place. It's really uneven. There are time jumps from one scene to the next and you don't really follow somehow unless you, you realize the weeks have changed on, on Faye Dunaway's head. But the level of intensity, I think, what you just described is really, yeah, it's it's turning into, into camp, it's turning into exaggeration. And I think that's why especially the gay community has adopted this movie so much as a classic, because it's this over-the-top display of, of a Hollywood actress. And I think it's really interesting to see that also through this movie, the image not only of Faye Dunaway changed, but also the image of Joan Crawford changed, who was dead by, by then. And it showed how how much this movie was really a big disadvantage for both women. Dunaway didn't hold back on this movie and I think she should have had a better script and better director to streamline this better and then it could have been a better movie but sadly it wasn't. Still in this really trashy bad movie you can't take away <laughs> your eyes off of Dunaway because she's so intense here in the negative sense but she still has this absolute star quality that I think not many people have these days. And it's fascinating that her career and Joan Crawford's career became so intrinsically linked through this movie and there's you know certain echoes of both women even uh, online if you watch mommy dearest and then you see the incredible number of, of videos made about it the snippets the interviews the tributes and so on then she really became a cult item thanks to that movie despite that movie and i just noticed there's also a, a quite a large number of tribute songs or songs that are called fade on away that i found on spotify none of them is very good but it just shows <laughs> that fade on away called goes deep 
she's very timeless. You you watch her in Bonnie and Clyde and she she's such a modern woman. She feels very timeless in that sense. And I think it's a combination of power she had, the looks she had, the store quality she had, that all this still somehow, um, yeah, shines through up until today. And I think it's a shame that she couldn't manage to to continue having a career in an older age. And I think this certainly speaks to the industry itself, who was and still is sorting out women after a certain age, which is a shame because when you look at all her colleagues from the 70s, I mean, Jack Nicholson, Tommy Lee Jones, all these men were playing big parts up until now, basically. They're still cast in movies, whereas women after 40, they're sorted out. And I think it's the industry who doesn't allow to have great roles for women in a certain age. There was also a generational shift in the 80s, early 80s with Diane Keaton, Sissy Spacek, Meryl Streep, Jessica Lange, all these character players of a newer generation coming along who were also maybe taking the spotlight away from Dunaway, who was so intense and present in the 70s. Well, that maybe leads us to a final question for today. Is there anyone like Faye today? My hot take would be... I don't think so. Maybe there is someone like Charlize Theron in that sense that she also portrays very often these dangerous, strong women. But I think she is more on the action side nowadays. Maybe there's Margot Robbie going into similar optics and potential versatility. But I think overall the movie landscape has changed so much these days that all Hollywood seems to be interested in is superhero movies and remakes. So... As I said before, I think really good roles for women are still rare and sought after. And I don't think there is someone like Faye at the moment with a similar trajectory, simply because directors and also creative people in the industry have changed. I mean, do we have similar auteurs like Arthur Penn or Polanski or Lumet? I don't think so. I would agree. So we'll have to see when Oscar season comes along, you know, what movies will be among the winners. And so we can talk about the state of movie directors and stars next time. But thanks a lot for helping to dive deep into the career of one Oscar winner, this time Andy. And I look forward to going into award season next time when we are again ready for close up. A circle in a spiral, a wheel within a wheel Never ending or beginning, on an ever spinning reel As the images unwind, like the circles that you find In the windmills of your mind